In this podcast, I am going to ask you to read the written materials before you hear the podcast. For these scriptures set the foundation for that which I will be recording on this podcast. As a way of introduction, we think about the children of Israel and how God so carefully led them through the wilderness, providing for their needs. There were 600,000 men over the age of 20, plus women and children. That's a huge number of people for God to provide for. And yet there was no lack at any time. These scriptures that I have written out here on this writing are very important in allowing you to see the great provision God has done for his people along the way, as well as for letting you see the miracle in the provision that he could do in providing for his people and to show you he can do exactly the same thing for you today and as you go forward. Never forget, God knows the future. So when he leads you to do something, it's not going to backfire. It's going to work out according to the circumstances of the future, and it will work for your benefit. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love the Lord, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. These scriptures show this principle, and the recording that I'm going to do show this principle. So please take time to read through the written materials, the scriptures that I have provided on this. And then after you read the scriptures, please listen to this podcast. It shows an overwhelming caring of God for us. I'll start the story in 1979. I owned a small business in Dallas, Texas at that time, and by 1979, God had shown me that I was to be a minister. He had been working with me since I was born again in 1975, taking me through Old Testament and New Testament scriptures. Early in 1979, a man from our church group, from Word of Faith, came to my shop, and he said he had a message from God for me. And the message was, Joan, you know you are supposed to be in the ministry and you're still operating a business. You're dragging your feet in this situation. I was shocked at the message and I told this prophet, I said, now look, 
I have already written two small booklets just the past few months, and they're in the faith movement churches everywhere. And he just smiled at me. He didn't try to debate me or argue with me. He just made it clear that the message was I was to close my business and go into the ministry, although I had nowhere to go in the ministry. It wasn't like any church was going to hire me. I didn't even try to get a church to hire me. So going into the ministry for me simply meant selling my merchandise from my shop, closing the doors, getting out of the lease that I had on the shop, and staying home at my apartment until God showed me something to do. I was affected by this young this man who brought the prophecy, and I did make arrangements immediately to close my business. And officially, I closed my business on July 31st, 1979. And after the business was officially closed, I simply got up every morning and read the Bible. And if God showed me something to do, I would do that. And then I came back and read the Bible. I did that all day long and until time to go to bed at night. I did attend church. I've attended every meeting they had at Word of Faith during those years. And I did continue to go to the neighborhood prayer group. Other than those two things, I did nothing else. God showed me during that season to stop participating in going to things like secular plays football games, activities that people normally go to. I went to none of those things. I was so isolated during that period of time that the following story will give you a very good understanding of exactly how isolated to God I allowed myself to be. I was with my mother and dad in New Mexico on a buying trip for my shop. And my dad mentioned a man named Jimmy Carter. I had no idea who that man was. I'd never heard of him before. And when I said, I've never heard of this man before, they were very shocked because he had just been elected president of the United States. That's how separate I was from the world, from the world news and from the things of the world. God was training me to go into the ministry. He was taking me through every scripture in the Old and New Testament and teaching me and raising me up. He did that for about five years with me. So I closed my business officially on July 31st, 1979. And I just stayed home and read the Bible and went to church and went to the prayer group. I didn't read 
newspapers or anything secular. I didn't watch TV during that period of time. I just withdrew to God. On January the 10th, 1980, I was asleep in the night. A very loud trumpet-like voice spoke three words into my ear. Hartford, Seattle, KWJS. I jumped out of bed and wrote the letters KWJS on a notepad beside my bed because it was quite obvious to me KWJS would be call letters to either radio or television. That morning, I found KWJS to be a radio station located in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where I lived. I said to God, Are you telling me to go on radio? I'm not a speaker. I'm a writer. And I wouldn't know how to do that. Instantly, the Holy Spirit brought this to my mind. Call the radio station manager. As soon as I felt the business office would be open that morning, I called radio station KWJS, asked to speak to the station manager. He came onto the phone immediately. I told him that it might be that God was showing me to go on radio, and I asked him, how would you do that? He told me to make an audition tape 29 and a half minutes long, send it to him, and if I fit their broadcasting, they would offer me a contract. That same morning, I got my cassette tape recorder out and a kitchen timer, which allowed me to set 29 and a half minutes so I would know when to stop. I didn't edit the tape at all. I'm sure I would have prayed about it and just asked God to bring to my attention by the Holy Spirit that which I should record on this audition tape. God had already taught me that when I got in front of people, not to plan anything out, to trust the Holy Spirit. And I was just to walk on stage, and the Holy Spirit would bring something to my mind, a scripture or a concept, and I would just start talking about that scripture. And then there would be another scripture and another scripture. And the time was always filled with the Holy Spirit bringing to my mind scriptures to share with the people to meet their needs. For I wouldn't know how to meet your needs, but God does. And that's how he taught me to do this ministry. 
and I still do that. So it is 1979, between July 31st and January the 10th, 1980, and I am waiting to find out what God wants me to do in the ministry. I already know the ministry offices to which I'm assigned. They are apostle, prophet. So I already know that, and God has already trained me for the past five years on how to do the calling to which I was called. But I didn't know how to go about doing it, where to do it, until January 10th. 1980, when I was awakened in the night by that very loud trumpet-like voice saying to me, Hartford, Seattle, KWJS. So I called the radio station manager, made an audition tape that same morning, got it in the mail to KWJS, Within five days, they had given me a contract to do exhortations on radio Monday through Fridays for 30 minutes a day on KWJS. It cost $800 a month at that time to be on that radio station. Instantly, people began sending me money the minute they heard me to support the radio broadcast. I didn't have to beg for the money. I just said, if you can support the broadcast, please do. It cost $800 a month to pay for this radio broadcast. And the money poured in. You will recall that the word given to me on January 10th was Hartford, Seattle, KWJS. I started on KWJS because that is where I had the specific call letters for the radio station. Within about a month, I decided to expand to Oklahoma City and then to Houston. So very quickly, I was broadcasting on those three stations. And as the first one, people sent money in. They just sent offerings to keep the radio broadcasts going. Along the way, the first year, God gave me an outstanding plan, which I called Purchase a City. It would take approximately $1,000 per radio station for the first month of broadcasting. Some stations cost more. The most expensive was New York City, which it was over in Hackensack, New Jersey. Nick covered the area of all of New York City and Connecticut and the areas adjacent to New York City. And the cost of that station was $2,400 a month. But most of the stations were around $1,000 a month. So I sent out a letter to the radio station audience in the different cities. And I told them if they would like to purchase 
a city for me to go on radio at that city. If they would give an offering of a thousand dollars, a one-time offering of a thousand dollars to purchase the city, then I would be able to start broadcasting in that city. And as the months progressed and radio audience developed, I should have enough money for the radio audience in that city to pay for the broadcast. This put me on radio instantly from coast to coast. I think I had 15 or 16 radio stations just overnight. You will remember that in that word, which I believe was spoken by an angel, I heard that Hartford, Seattle, KWJS, that showed me a plan that the stations were going to be sort of V-shaped across the United States covering the territory between Hartford, Seattle, with my starting the broadcast in the center of the United States in the Dallas area. It was amazing how successful the plan was on Purchase a City. People began immediately sending $1,000 checks for me to buy onto radio in specific cities. An executive with Braniff International Airlines, who was a follower of the radio broadcast on the Dallas station, she selected Washington, D.C. as the city she wanted to put me on radio. It was shocking to me. I just couldn't even think in those terms. Washington, D.C., and yet, she had this feeling of, of where you go for power and what could happen in situations like that. So all over the United States, within a month, I'd say, people were putting me on radio stations and paying that $1,000 offering for that first month of broadcast. And it worked out great. Because by the time the end of the month came, I already had radio followers in these different cities. Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Seattle. One man was from Eugene, Oregon, and he wanted me to go on radio there, and he paid for it. Los Angeles, Denver, Phoenix, of course, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, Oklahoma City. It was all over the United States in one month. And I was very popular. God had given me messages on the subjects of taking thoughts captive, dealing with destructive thoughts, dealing with depression through faith and the Bible. And these were subjects that people really wanted to hear. It was a glorious time for me. I was traveling all over the United States, speaking to the church where these radio stations were located. The program was growing enormously so that when I went in and had a meeting, it was not at all unusual for between 800 people and 2,500 people to come to the meetings. 
I was doing this between the years 1980 and 1984. When I took a radio station, within six weeks' time, I would be in that city and have a three-day meeting. And, of course, I advertised it on my own radio broadcast. And people just came out in mass. In 1982, I had a meeting in Seattle. And en route to the airport, God began speaking to me. And he said, the foundation is laid. Now we're really going to move. I found that terribly exciting. A few days later, the Holy Spirit spoke another word to me, and he spoke it to me over and over and over all day long. The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And I would just hear it constantly. The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And in that period of time, God showed me sins that were being committed by several big-time radio and television preachers. I tried to get messages to these preachers, but I found that I couldn't get messages to them because their staff would intercept the message and throw the message away. God gave me a scripture that says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Beware of him. By that scripture, I saw that God was telling me it was approved for me to go on radio and tell of the sins this preacher was committing and present the exhortation on my own radio broadcast. I began doing this. I had been very popular with lots of mail until I started doing that. And then the church people began sending hate mail to me because I told of the sins being committed by the preachers. But I continued these judgment messages. At one point, I was having a meeting in Seattle at the convention center The radio station manager was waiting for me outside the meeting room door. He had always been so pleasant to me and so supportive. This time he looked a little harsher. I greeted him, and he began talking. He said, Joan, you have so many good messages. Just give those messages. But if you keep giving these judgment messages, I don't know what's going to happen to you. We might have to put you off the air. The Holy Spirit rose up in me to instantly address the situation. And I said to him, George, if I don't speak the message that I believe to be from God, 
then I really don't have a message to speak, and I may as well be off the air. What people so often don't understand is we don't make up these messages. God wants something spoken, and he tells us what to speak. And it's up to us to present that message. I remained on radio between the years of January 10th, 1980, and sometime in the summer of 1984. And in the summer of 1984, I terminated all of the radio broadcast and didn't do any more radio. Some of the station managers, such as the one in Pittsburgh, called and just begged me to continue radio. But I could see it was over. This was for a season, and it was over. This was a very dark period of life for me because I had been so enjoying going to the different cities and meeting the different church people and sharing what God had given me for them. And I was probably traveling at least 50,000 miles a year. And then all of a sudden, it was over. No more radio. And it was hard for me. I continued to send written messages and even recorded messages on cassette tape to the radio audience who still communicated with me. Many of them left me, but to the ones who still communicated with me, I continued to send them messages by U.S. mail. We didn't have Internet in those days. I moved from Dallas, Texas to Clovis, New Mexico. That's in USA for foreign listeners. It's not old Mexico. It's New Mexico, which is one of the states in the United States. My mother lived there, and my dad had died in 1982. I knew my mother was going to need help. And basically, the work that I was doing, I could do from anywhere. It wouldn't matter where I lived. All I needed was U.S. Post Office to send out materials. So I moved to Clovis, New Mexico, and I lived there until my mother died in the year 2001, at which point I sold all the property in New Mexico and moved to Lubbock, Texas. In 2012, God had another assignment for me. This was March 2012. He gave me a dream, and in the dream, a woman was singing to a small group of people. And I said, it's a nice little voice. It is a little voice, but it's a very nice little voice. And instantly, the dream opened up to allow me to understand that this would be a blog which would go all over the world for the church with exhortations presented daily. 
I contacted Pam Paget in Colorado Springs. I was living in Texas at the time this happened. And I asked Pam if she could set up a blog for Jesus Ministries. Pam said she didn't know anything about blogs, but she felt certain she could learn and do it. She had recently retired from FedEx, and she had plenty of time to work on this. So I told her, just start working on it and see what needs to be done. She prayed, and God told her to just keep it very simple. Pam designed the blog. She learned how to produce the blog, and within three days' time, we were writing a blog to exhort the church, and it went all over the world instantly. And the amazing thing, it didn't cost anything for us to do this. The next message I heard from God was in the year 2020, and it came in the form of a dream to show me what to do. I opened the front door of my house in this dream. Kittens were everywhere. They were scattered all over the front of the door. They were all the way to down the side of both sides of the house. And they were just lying there waiting for me to feed them. I went in the garage area and kittens were all over the garage area waiting to be fed. I asked God, what this means. And I heard that these were young Christians who were starving to death for the Word of God. And they were waiting for me to feed them. Immediately, we went to a sound system company in Colorado Springs, bought a microphone, and we bought the type of recorder which would produce the broadcast. And and within a day or so, I began recording podcasts. I thought the podcasts were such a much better idea than going back on radio. Not only did it cost much less, but by the podcast, you had a library of recordings that built up. So if a person wanted to hear another recording, they could take it out of the archive and download it and hear the recording, whereas radio is a one-time shot. If you don't hear it on that day, it's not available. So there are things I liked a great deal about podcast. I began recording the first week of February 20. 20. And I had some other instructions from the Bible. Hebrews chapter 3, exhort one another daily while it is called today. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, exhorting one another and even more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. So I recorded every day fresh recordings for the podcast. I'm quite sure this is very unusual.
Currently, I have more than 600 recordings in our archive with our podcast host. You can see what a great advantage this would be because let's suppose somebody hears one of these podcasts and is born again and his life has completely changed. As a baby Christian, he will need immediately to have many other topics broadcast and available for him. Well, I have a fundamental library established already with Podbean, which is our host, which you can hear any of those 600 broadcasts from your own home without any expense whatsoever to you. It's really a wonderful program. I do writings with each podcast to be able to write out the scriptures and to make it a little more thoughtful. But it has been and is a very successful program. And for the end-time church that we are in right now, I honestly cannot think of anything that could work better than these podcasts. So I am able, at the age of 84, to simply record from my bedroom, and I am able to do the written work for the blog. Pam does all the technical work, but it is so easy for me to do this. Here is a very interesting timeline. That angel of the Lord spoke to me January the 10th, 1980, showing me to go on radio. I continued on radio up through 1984. God gave me a dream showing me to start the blog on March 27th, 2012. When I look at those dates, I began to think, but what was I doing between 1984 when I terminated the radio broadcast and 2012? That's according to Pam, 28 years. What was I doing on those 28 years? I began thinking about that yesterday. I sent out exhortations to the radio audience who were still with me, but they were just mimeograph-printed exhortations sent by U.S. Mail. So what was I doing? And the most amazing thing came to my mind. During those years, I was building houses. When I moved from Dallas, Texas to Clovis, New Mexico, we owned, my family owned, a small lot where we had had four trailer houses. I considered buying a trailer house for myself to use on the lot. But when I went to look at the trailer house, I just didn't feel I wanted to live in a trailer house. But I remembered that I had inherited 
$50,000 from my father. And I could use that amount of money to build one apartment. It turned out I built two apartments, one for me and one for my secretary, and my mother's trailer house was between our two apartments. So I paid cash and built those two apartments. They were approximately $45,000 each. It turned out that I was unhappy living at that location in Clovis, New Mexico. There was an enormous amount of noise from pickup trucks and teenagers, and it just was very unpleasant for me and disruptive. I began looking around the city of Clovis, and they did have a golf course there, and I could buy a lot for $12,000 on the golf course. And I thought that was a tremendous buy, for if it came to the point that I couldn't build a house on it, I could sell the lot. So in 1987, I bought a lot on the golf course in Clovis. By the year 1990, I received a plan, which I believed was from God, to put the two apartments up for sale and put that amount of money into this house I was building, plus put my personal savings into the house I was building. The contract on the house was $100,000, and the plan was my mother would move into the house with me. I put the two apartments up for sale, and one of them sold immediately for about 55000 I had spent 45000 on it. The one I was living in did not sell, so I decided to rent it for $300 a month. For 10 years, I lived in the house on the golf course. I put the $50,000 into the building of that house, and I put all of my personal money and my mother's money into the building of the house. We took out no mortgages. When I got ready to sell the house in the year 2002, my mother had died and I wanted to sell the house and move to Lubbock, Texas. When I got ready to do that, the house had accumulated in money from the original cost of 100000 to 227000 in the years between 1990, when we started the construction, and the year 2001, when I sold that house. It had increased in value from 100000 to over 200000 Plus, I had the apartment, which I had already earned $40,000 in rent 
and it sold for $40,000 to one of the realtors in Clovis. So that meant there was $80,000 from that one apartment. The other apartment, I still had the $56,000 that it originally sold for. So I put all of this money together, which I haven't added it up, but is 227000 for the house on the golf course. It is 80000 for the apartment I lived in, counting the rent and the purchase cost that the realtor would pay. And the other apartment was 56000 I took all of that money and put it together and took it to Lubbock, Texas, and put it in a bank to use to build a house in Lubbock, Texas. So I am moving to Lubbock, Texas. God gives me a dream showing me that I am building a new house. I saw the exact lot, and as we look for lots, it was exactly what I had seen in my dream. I found a very good builder, and it worked out well. I made arrangements with the builder in Lubbock to go forward with the property. There's not any mortgage on the properties. It was just paying cash as we went along. I had a recording studio built in one of the closets, an office space, and living space. I had a very, very good builder. I lived in that house for the next, well, it would have been from 2002 until I got injured December 6th. 2018. I lived there that long. As they were taking me to the hospital, I heard from God. And what I heard is, you'll never see this house again. So I put the house up for sale while I was in the hospital. It was a very high-level piece of property. It ended up selling for $308,000, which allowed me to give some gratuities to my contractor and my cleaning woman who had helped me so long with the property. When I moved to Colorado, I had very little expense. I was paying Pam Paget $500 a month for a bedroom and office space for the ministry in her house. So there was ample money to do as needed. And something else happened along the way. People grew older and began to die. So our offerings were greatly decreased. I wasn't looking out to get new members or younger people. 
I just simply presented the materials. But the old bunch, the radio bunch, who had been so generously supporting the ministry, began dying. We started out with literally thousands of people supporting the ministry. Through these 22 years, people would die, they retired, all types of things happened to them. And we finally ended up with something like six or seven people who supported the ministry. This would be extremely frightening except for one thing. We had the property. So when I put the property up for sale and set up an office in Pam Paget's house in Colorado, and that worked very well, we didn't need to have separate properties. But that one property was more than enough to provide all of our needs when we sold it. God knew what was going to come in the future. He knew the people who were going to die. He knew what was going to happen to offerings. And he just got my attention focused to build ministry property, which could be later sold and used for financing the ministry. God was with me every second along the way, providing what I was going to need 20 to 30 years down the road. We are in a position at this point in time, which is October 2021. We are in a financial position where everything is paid for. We have no debt. We have savings accounts at our banks. We can pay for the ministry and operate the ministry easily with what we have. If it turns out that I have to go to assisted living, we even have money to take care of that. Though I have prayed that I not have to do that. God knew how many people were going to die and not be able to give offerings. And he even worked that out. And I am sitting here today just in awe of God's plan. For he worked everything out carefully so that there would be no need of any kind. And every phase of the ministry would function. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down 
in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Everything is already taken care of. Now, once again, I want to encourage you to go back and read all these scriptures that I have placed before the podcast that shows God's caring for us, his people. Thank you for allowing me to share these things with you today.